good to gather together and to remember the reason why we celebrate Christmas. That's really what, what I want to talk about today, and, and I trust that's what you want to hear. Um, like, like you, um, this is a time of going and seeing family and holiday celebrations and all that, and, and we did that last night. Uh, my family had to get together back um, towards Kaiser, actually a little town near Kaiser called Fort Ashby. You ever heard of that? Probably you haven't, but, but yeah, there's where my, that's where my sister lives, and, and so we all gathered there in her house and had a nice time uh, together. We'll talk about that a little more in just a minute. I want to remind you about tomorrow night, though. Tomorrow is the 24th, which is Christmas Eve, and at 7 o'clock here at Spring Mills Middle School, we're going to have a candlelight service. And I really encourage you to, to invite somebody out for that. Um, it's, a, it's a neat time for, for us as a church family. Um, we're pretty much all together here in this room, and there will be candles, and it'll be an, it's a nice night of, of just looking to Christ as we go into the whole holiday the next day to, to kind of right ourselves and focus upon the Lord. So that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. And um, I trust that you're getting emails from our church. They've been coming out over the last couple weeks and on the Facebook page and those kind of things. We don't have a lot of time in our service right now to really to hit many announcements, but we trust that you read those. So if you're not getting an email from us, I want to encourage you to uh, communicate your email address to us through that prayer sheet on the worship notes. If you just put your email address in there and hand it to myself or one of the other pastors or to our office administrator, Christy Anglis, we'll make sure that you get in on that email list. So last night, I'm sitting there with my brother, and um, he's three years younger than me. I'm approaching 50, okay, a couple years away, but just to kind of put it in perspective. And um, he says, he calls me Mickey, okay, that's what I grew up being called in my house. He says, Mickey, you know what? I'm really proud of you. I thought, wow, that, that doesn't come out of my brother's lips very often. We don't talk that way to one another. I said, really? Why would you be proud of me? He said, well, there's this guy at work. And he dyes his beard black, but you go ahead and wear yours gray. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know this required that much courage, you know? So, <laughs> but as I, as I looked there at my, my sisters and my brother and my family, and I saw that, that it's happening to us. We're getting old. It's happening. I see my, and I, I hope my sisters don't hear this, but they're all getting to be old women. You know, it's just happening. So, you know, we're all, we're all getting a little shorter, a little wider, a little grayer. Some of us getting a little less on top. It's just occurring. And as I'm watching all this, you know, action, there's, there's, there's nephews, well, actually great nephews and great nieces now. Okay, so these are the children of my nephew's nieces running around and tearing the house to pieces. And I'm, I'm watching the, the, uh, my sisters and my brother. And in my mind's eye, I'm going back to whenever we were just children. Do you do that? Do you remember when you were just a child and you and your brothers or sisters or whoever were, were kids? And in thinking about what I was going to talk about today, I, I went back to the secret of Christmas. Because in my house, um, there were a lot of secrets right around Christmas time. And then mostly when I was a child, centered around what you were going to get, right? What the presents were going to be. Christmas was a big deal at my house. Um, we weren't real well off. We were fine, but, but we didn't get a lot of stuff through the year. 
okay? It's not like we got a lot of, a lot of toys or, or things through the year. That just didn't really happen. But when Christmas came, oh, man, my parents just let loose. And we got all kinds of gifts. And so for the weeks prior, I can remember crawling around in every crook and cranny of my house with my sisters and my brother looking for gifts, trying to find the secret did you used to do it? Were you snoopers? That's what we called it then. You better not be snooping. That's what my parents would say to us. Don't be snooping. And we would, we would search around for the secrets of Christmas. How many snoopers here in the room? You want, you want me to admit? Okay, there's a few of us. There's a few of us. Everybody loves a secret. Everybody loves a secret. Well, that's not really totally true. Everybody loves telling a secret. Keeping a secret's not a whole lot of fun, is it? Somebody tells you a secret and you've got to keep it? That's not a lot of fun. Today I want to talk about the secret of Christmas. The secret of Christmas. So to get there, turn with me in your Bible. Would you find your Bible? And uh, where I want to go first of all this morning is in the book of 1 Timothy. If you've been with us recently, you know that we are, we've been working through the gospel of Matthew for some time now. And um, we have... We started actually months ago, and we landed in Matthew 3 and 4. And we, we dealt with 3 and 4 several months ago. And then right here around the Christmas season, we went back to Matthew 1 and 2. And when we come here after the new year, okay, once, the, once we turn the calendar to 2019, we're going to jump into chapter 5, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm very excited for that time in the Gospel of Matthew, our Gospel of Matthew study. And we're going to get to Matthew this morning. But I want you to go, first of all, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because, believe it or not, there is a secret In this passage. Before we read it though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Now, as we take time out of what can be our busy lives, Lord, I ask that you would just bring our heart and our mind to you and truth. Oh God, we are surrounded by people by the mass of people who have missed what this is all about. And you have chosen in your grace to open up our eyes to your truth. You have chosen in your will, Lord, to allow us to see the truth of what Christmas is, but more importantly, who Jesus is. So I pray, Lord, as we spend time today, being reminded of truth, that you would awaken us again. Awaken us to the wonder of who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'd like you to turn there, um, if you would. And um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a, there's a passage here that, that we're going to focus our attention on for just a moment. And it says this, Great indeed. I'm reading from the ESV, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to bring one with you. But but 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
Now, I turn to this passage because I really want the first couple phrases of this of, of Paul's words here, where he says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Speaking of Jesus here, Paul is writing of the incarnation. Incarnation just simply means, it literally means in flesh, that, Jesus, that God is, Jesus is, that is, God in the flesh, the incarnation. But what Paul says here is great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, when I say mystery, it's important that we know what this, what this means. When the Bible speaks of a mystery, this is very important for where I'm headed this morning. When the Bible speaks of a mystery, it's not talking about a puzzling crime that you're trying to solve. That's not what the word mystery means in Greek. The word mystery is a Greek word. It's a Greek word. And it doesn't mean there's this crime that's been done and you need to solve it. Scooby-Doo style, right? The, the mystery machine. Okay, that was Fred's van that he drove around. Remember that? Okay, and they would figure out what the, who, who did the crime. And that was a, a mystery. Agatha Christie, you know, these mystery novels. Those kind of, no, wrong idea. When the Bible speaks of a mystery, as it does here, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now listen to this, so important for you today to understand how blessed you are. To understand how blessed you are. The word mystery means a sacred secret now revealed. That's what it means. Great indeed we confess is the sacred secret now revealed of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Listen, if you know Jesus today, if you're in Christ today, if you, if you put your trust in him and you have an eternity ahead of you with God, then God has chosen in his grace to unveil your eyes to a sacred secret that is now available to us, but the vast majority of the world doesn't see it. Their eyes are still veiled they had before them a barrier and that barrier is a lie it's veiled by satan so that people who are perishing are believing a lie they're deceived and they don't see the sacred secret and what paul is saying here is the incarnation that god became a man his name is jesus he is the christ is a sacred secret now revealed. Can you just, can you just marinate that in that for just a moment? You're not here because you have to be. You're not here, I hope, because it's Sunday morning is what you do. You're not a believer in Christ because you were born into a Christian family. None of those things are true. God has chosen to reach into your life and to tear down the carpet that stood between you and the truth and allowed you to see a sacred secret. 
So turn back to Matthew chapter 2 and let's see this sacred secret played out a little bit more. Describe for us a little bit more the mystery of the incarnation. Now where we're going to, what we're going to do today, just so you know, is we're going to do a, a quick overview of chapter 1 and chapter 2. But we're going to focus primarily our attention on the end of chapter 2, is where most of our time is going to go. And so what I want us to see, we're going to read this morning, I'm going to jump in at verse number 16, and I'm going to read in chapter 2 for a little bit. But what I want you to see, before I start to read this, before I want you to, what I want you to be thinking about is the opposition that existed to God's plan. The opposition that was there to God's plan. This was a sacred secret. This was was veiled. Even Satan himself was not aware of this secret that was being unfolded. Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've got it now. We're, we've, we've read this every Christmas for however many years you've been alive. You, you know this truth well. But before this happened, even Satan himself and King Herod and, and the whole world didn't know what was happening. Didn't know. The secret was at that point closed. But now it's being opened. And look at the opposition at verse number 16, chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years or under. According to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now I wanted to jump into those two or three verses to show you something here that reveals where we're headed today for our time together. Look at verse number 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And then there's a passage from the Old Testament. Five times in the, in the Christmas narrative, Matthew references words spoken by Old Testament prophets. Five different times. Matthew, in writing the Christmas narrative, says, Oh, remember, this was written. Oh, remember, this was said. Oh, remember, this is what, was, what we were told. Five different times in these two chapters... That's not even counting the genealogy. We could really add to it from there. But during the Christmas narrative section, five different times, the gospel writer Matthew pulls something out of the Old Testament period and says, we're seeing this lived out right now. And what I want us to do today to to understand the sacred secret is I want us to look at what Matthew pointed to. Because it informs the narrative What Matthew chose from the Old Testament informs the narrative. It informs the secret. It adds more meaning to the sacred secret. That's what we're going to do. But before we do that, let's just just review all the details, okay? Let's just review all the details. It starts clear back in in Luke. I'm sorry. What I'm going to do here, I got ahead of myself. I I I want to look at both Matthew and Luke and kind of portray for us what is happening, okay? So Luke, when you see... When you, when, you, when you read the Gospel of Luke's account of the Christmas narrative, it's mostly from Mary's perspective. 
And Matthew is given mostly from Joseph's perspective. So let's just walk through this. Remember what happens? In Luke chapter 1, Mary is told about a miraculous conception. And she's going to have a child, having never been married, never been with a man. And she's going to have a child. Mary says, how can this be? How can? She's filled with fear, as you might understand. Meanwhile, in Matthew's account, we see from Joseph's perspective that an angel comes to Joseph and says, don't, don't fear, take her to be your wife. Now, in his pride, Joseph probably was tempted to divorce this woman. But because he was a righteous man, remember the details? We talked about this recently. He decided he would divorce her quietly. So this is what's going on. At this point, Mary and Joseph are the only ones who know the secret. They're the only ones who know. I mean, honestly, at, at this point, Joseph maybe is starting to kind of wonder, but Mary? She's the only human on earth who knows without a doubt that the child in her stomach is a miracle. She may have told people, but you know people doubted. But Mary alone knows the secret. Listen, that's going to be a running theme today. The secret of Christmas we have. Mary, Joseph. Luke picks up from there and talks about the humble beginnings. That's where we hear about the manger and the Jesus, God in the flesh, being, being born on a dirty barn floor, right? Spending the night in a manger and shepherds come and angels appear and worship. Very, very humble beginnings and, and God is providing. Luke continues the narrative and, and, and here we hear about how there is a sign coming. Mary and Joseph, they then, they leave the child and they take the child to the temple that is. And, and you'll hear about this tomorrow night. They, they take the child to be dedicated in the temple. And there they're told that this child will, will pierce their heart and soul. So this child is coming and, and he will break hearts, but he will win lives. Now we get to the Matthew account. So Matthew chapter 2, we, we saw some of this when we read the beginning of our time together. Herod, that conniving, lying, murderous king. He tries to trick the magi into telling him where the child is. The magi figure it out. And so this bloodthirsty king in chapter 2 verse 13, he does something that is just, it blows our mind. Think about this now. Every single male child in Bethlehem and the surrounding region killed. The streets of Bethlehem are, are filled with soldiers coming with swords to kill the young infant boys. They're born. The narrative continues. I want us to get a full feeling for this. These, these children are killed and, and there's crying. And then the Lord comes to Joseph and says, you need to leave. You need to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. So Joseph picks up his family and goes off to Egypt later to return. Back to not Bethlehem, but Nazareth. Now that's the, that's the Christmas narrative, but I want to look at the secret. The planning of God's plan. The planning behind God's plan. 
So let's go back now into the narrative and see the secret that is contained there as we look at it. First of all, I want to start, I want to start just briefly in chapter 1, verse number 22 and 23. Let's begin there to get a flavor for what's going on. We already dealt with this passage. Where I really want to land is the last three. But, but you see there in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that this, this angel proclaims to Joseph that he doesn't need to fear because the child is of God. And Pastor Steve read this at the beginning of our service today. Emmanuel, God with us. Then you will look in chapter 2, we see another reference to the Old Testament, verse number 5. Look at it with me. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. So what Matthew is doing here, Matthew is, is telling us the narrative and then reaching back into the Old Testament and telling us this was God's plan. Now where I really want to go today is in chapter 2. And what I want us to look at here is is three Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in this Christmas narrative. My intent for for looking at this is, is really twofold. The first is a minor point. The second is a major point. The minor point is this. I want us to understand why God shares prophecy. We're going to see prophetic statements here in Matthew chapter 2. And I want us to understand why God shares prophecy. Now let me tell you what it isn't. God doesn't share prophecy with us in the Bible so we can be some kind of like, you know, circus act that is able to tell people, oh, this is what this means. Look at this news story. This is what this means. Russia's coming from here and China's coming. No, no. Prophecy, now listen, prophecy is less about prediction and more about confirmation. Prophecy is less about prediction and more about confirmation. You've, have you ever read the book of Revelation? Okay? And you read that and, and you're like, man, what is going on here? Let me tell you something. You are not going to necessarily know what is going on in reading Revelation. But once the events of prophecy begin to happen, when you read them, they confirm what you're seeing. Matthew is going to grab Old Testament prophecy and confirm that this is an event of God. So we should act accordingly. Let me show you what I mean. Go to verse number 13. Okay, verse number 13. That's our first place. Verse number 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose I might want to do something about that, guys. Just maybe shut it down. I don't need it. You can just shut it down. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. 
Now let me explain to you what's happening. Herod is going to wipe out all the children. Remember that? An angel comes to Joseph and says, pick up and leave. Take off and run. And so Joseph leaves from Bethlehem and goes to Egypt. A trip about 150 miles from Bethlehem to Egypt. Very likely, in case you're curious, very likely went to Alexandria in Egypt. Now, why Alexandria? Because Alexandria was a city that Alexander the Great, you've heard of him, right? He established in Egypt as a, in a sense, sanctuary city for Jews. And historians from the day say that there were over a million Jews that lived in Alexandria, Egypt. And so Joseph picked up his family and took off 150 miles into Egypt. We don't know where he went. The Bible doesn't tell us where he went. But Jews who went to Egypt went to Alexandria. And he went there and waited and waited to hear from the Lord that he is to come back. But I want you to notice what it says here at the end. This was spoken to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now that seems very strange. Why is that there? And where does it come from? That quotation, out of Egypt I called my son, is from a book in the Old Testament called Hosea. It's in Hosea chapter 11, verse number 1. You can turn there if you want to. It's a direct quote from Hosea 11.1. Let me tell you the story of Hosea. Hosea was a man, a godly man, a prophet of God, a, a man who God spoke to, all right? God revealed himself to him through words. And God came to Hosea, and here's what he said. I want you to take a wife. Hosea's probably like, all right, good. I'm a single guy. I want to be married. Anybody in particular? God says, yeah. I want you to marry a girl named Gomer. He's probably like, oh, man. Gomer? What, What kind of name is that? And then he remembered. Wait a minute. Gomer? See, Gomer was not any normal lady. Gomer was a prostitute. And God commanded Hosea to marry her. And so he did. And her immoral life didn't stop. She continued to be a sinful woman. Until finally she found herself enslaved at a brothel. And God said, Hosea, go to Gomer and purchase her. Buy her back from the one who owns her. And so Hosea did as he commanded. Now why on earth would God do that to Hosea. And why on earth would Matthew choose that, that picture, that concept from the Old Testament to, rest up, to mess up our Christmas story? Really? How dare you, Matthew, bring that in here? How dare you bring that into our nice little story, our happy holiday nativity scene? What are you thinking? Well, let me explain to you what, what's going on. God did that with Hosea because he wanted Hosea to be able to write from a place of pain. He wanted Hosea to know what it's like to be wronged. 
He wanted Hosea to know what it's like to love someone and then that person violate your love. He wanted Hosea to know what it is to be married to one who commits adultery and to know that pain. Why? Why? Because that's God's relationship with his people. We have done that. The people of Israel did that. So Hosea said, God says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I won you out of slavery. Why do you go back? He wasn't speaking of physical slavery. He was talking about the worst slavery mankind has ever known, and that is slavery to sin. Why is Matthew, why is the Spirit of God grabbing this account to mess up our Christmas story? Because Jesus is the way that oppression will finally end. The oppression of sin. Jesus will overcome oppression. And so Matthew is saying, remember how we've done Remember how we would run back to the slavery of sin? We'd run back to Egypt, what we thought was great when we were there, and now we've been delivered from it, and we run back. Remember what Hosea had to feel? Folks, God is finally going to rid us of the oppression of sin through Jesus. It's our nature to run back to sin. It's our nature to run back to adultery, physical or spiritual. It's our nature to go back there. And so the Christmas narrative is not some nice little pretty story for us to set up a nativity scene and all stand around and hold hands and sing Happy Merry songs. That's not what this is. Christmas is not a happy holiday. Christmas is a cosmic battle. It's an invasion. God has invaded the world to rid the world of the oppression of sin. And that's why Matthew messes up your Christmas story with a picture of a harlot. Let's keep going because there's more. Am I, am I hurting you? I hope you're not messing you up. I hope I'm not making you go home and knock your nativity scene down. But this passage is real, folks. This is not some little myth. This is some little story. God is doing a work, a cosmic battle here. God is winning souls from sin and death and Satan. And it continues. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. You know the story. And killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or younger. Then, what, verse number 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, now, here comes a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31. Matthew's messing up our Christmas narrative again. It's like, come on, Matthew. We just wanted to stand around the piano and sing, Oh, Holy Night. Don't mess with our Christmas story. But he is. Because the Christmas story is not a happy holiday. It's a cosmic battle. And so here's what he says. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, She refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
Now, Matthew explains to us King Herod's night of, of death. And these children are killed and <clears throat> mothers are crying in the streets. But then what the Spirit of God does is he, he, he inspires Matthew to reach back into history and grab something from Jeremiah. Now, in the, in the history of Israel, there are two events in the history of the nation of Israel, there are two events that probably rise to the surface as, as maybe the most significant, okay? They are, number one, the exodus out of Egypt. We saw that in 2.15, uh, the exodus out of Egypt. And number two, event in history in the nation of Israel that is probably one of the most significant would be the Babylonian captivity. So we've got, we've got the nation of Israel being, being brought out of Egypt... Oppression is overcome, and now, hundreds of years later, they're back into captivity with Babylon. And when, Je- when Matthew quotes from Jeremiah 31, he's pulling a passage out of that Babylonian captivity time. He mentions this town, Ramah. He says, there is a, vo- a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. Now, what we find in Jeremiah 40, now listen to this, and, and let's let the Christmas narrative be informed the way the Spirit of God wants it to be. Not wise men standing around the manger. No, no, no. That's Hollywood version. That's our version. Let's let Matthew inform what is happening here. Ramah is a, is a location. It's a city. Listen to what it was. Jeremiah 40 informs us of this. Ramah was a staging area, a place that the Jewish people were brought and waited to be taken into slavery in Babylon. The Babylonians gathered up all the Jewish people and they they brought them by caravan, very likely, and they waited there at Ramah where that was determined who would be taken to Babylon and who would be slayed at the moment. This is very much like the, the, the train stations in Nazi Germany. That's what this is. That's what Rama is. And it says here that Rachel is weeping for her children. Who's Rachel? Rachel's an Old Testament character. Remember Rachel? Her husband was named Jacob. She married Jacob, the, the son of Isaac. And she was a barren woman. She couldn't have a child. Oh, her sister Leah, who was also married to Jacob, as awkward as that might be, she's popping out kids left and right. But Rachel, no children. And so she cries out to God and says, God, either give me a child or let me die. And God blesses her with a child named Joseph. And then later Benjamin. But now, Jeremiah and Matthew bring up Rachel. They identify Rachel with the mothers of these Jewish children. Who are weeping in Ramah. Who are now weeping in Bethlehem. Over the death of their babies. What is God's spirit doing? Harlots? Now dying infants? Mm. Here's what it is, folks. 
This is not a nice little story for you to stand around and sing about. The Christmas narrative, Jesus coming, is not only about overcoming the oppression of sin, but it's about the death of death. Jesus is coming to bring the death of death. Here are these women crying in the streets of Bethlehem. Matthew is saying, this is just like Rama when the women of Israel cried over the, their children being taken into slavery. And mothers and fathers have been dying over, or I'm sorry, crying over dying children ever since. Why do we die? Why is there death? Why is this part of the human experience? Because of sin. This is what God's Spirit is doing. This isn't me making this up. God's Spirit brought this up. And as we're here in the Christmas narrative, Matthew is saying, remember the pain of death. That's what Christmas is about. It's a cosmic battle. The battle to overcome the oppression of sin and the battle to bring the death of death. This is what Jesus is accomplishing. And then we go to the last one. It starts in verse number 19. Here's what it says. But when Herod died, <clears throat> behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again. This is three times. This is three times that an angel comes to Joseph in the middle of the night. Comes to him, now he's in Egypt. Probably only been, Herod died shortly after this, this edict to kill all the children in Bethlehem. He, he died shortly after that. So, so very likely Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in Egypt for maybe just a matter of months. But now an angel comes and says to Joseph in Egypt, said, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who, thought, who sought the child's life are dead. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, now that is one of the sons of Herod, when Herod died, remember I told you two weeks ago, he killed, five days before his death, he killed his heir, he killed his son. And so the kingdom was then divided into four parts. And Archelaus is one of the leaders of one of those parts. He's a madman too. Archelaus is reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. Now, this is the fifth time, five times in Matthew's two chapters of explaining the Christmas narrative, he reaches back to some Old Testament saying. We, we've really focused on two of them today. We also had Isaiah, we had the Micah passage. We saw the Hosea passage. We saw the Jeremiah passage. But I want you to look at verse number 29. This one's unique. Do you notice something unique about it? Let me read it again. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he'd be called a Nazarene. Now I want you to look at it again. Turn your thinking cap on, okay? What do you notice about this one? You don't have to say it out loud, but think it in your mind, okay? What do you notice about this one? As compared to verse number 18, verse number 15, verse number uh, 6, and chapter 1, verse number 23. You'll notice two things, at least. One, no quotation marks. Notice that? 
No quotation marks. Secondly, does Matthew identify the prophet? No. He says the what? Prophets. Now what's going on here? What's going on here? I'll tell you what it is. We don't have a written place where in the Old Testament where Jesus was going to be a Nazarene. That's, that is nowhere written in the Old Testament that he would be born in Nazareth. But what Matthew's revealing to us is this was a, an understanding of the prophets. That this one, this one that would come, would be called a Nazarene. Literally, that is out of Nazareth. Well, what's the big deal with that? Why is Matthew going to all this effort? Here we have been, it's been contained for us for 2,000 years, protected for 2,000 years, that he would be called a Nazarene. Big deal, right? Mm, it is a big deal. In John chapter 1, there's a statement about Nazareth that I want ident- to point out to you. It was spoken by a, by a guy named Nathaniel. And Jesus identified him as a true Israelite. So he's a good guy. Jesus said, this is a good guy. Nathaniel, good guy. True, true Israelite. And this is what the true Israelite said. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John the Baptist says, hey, this is Jesus. He'll take away the sin of the world. His early followers say, this is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What are we driving at here? What are, folks, this is the mystery of the incarnation. Nazareth was this little podunk town. I mean, it was a, it was a nothingville. If you and I were gonna, if you and I were gonna design the details of the birth of the King of Israel, we're putting him in Jerusalem with a temple, with all of its majesty, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and all that. But God sends him to Nazareth. This little town that it's said, it's been said for generations. It's nothing. It's nothingville. Nothing good could come out of Nazareth. What is God saying? What is God communicating? Folks, the Jesus that comes, the Christ that came, the one that is available to us blows our minds. It is the exact opposite of, we th- of what we think we need. The Israelites, like all of us, think or thought that we need a king who will come and rule in power. We think we need one who will, will show the world that God is right. Does that, do you ever feel that in your heart? Please, God, show them that we are right. Show them that we have made the right decision. Show them that we know the truth. Show them, God, show them. That ever come out in your heart? You ever feel that? That is not of God. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christmas is, I will come meek. I will come to serve. I'll take off the robe and I'll wash the feet. I'll be the servant. I'll lay down my life. I'll take the wounds. I'll take the nails. 
I will overcome the oppression of sin. I'll overcome death and bring death to death. But I will do it through meekness. I will do it as a child. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. Why? So that we might be made rich. Folks, this is the real secret of Christmas. Truly is. Is that God becomes, in the world standards, nothing. Nothing. He lived in Nazareth 30 years of of nothing. We know no stories. We have nothing that Jesus built. We have no temples that he constructed. We have no, no great works of literature that he wrote. Nothing. Obscurity. And it comes into the scene for, for three short years. Reveals who he is. And goes to a cross and dies the death of a cursed criminal. Why? To end oppression. To bring the death of death. So that we might be served by the great servant. So you got Christmas right? You got Christmas right? Is it the pretty tinsel and trees? The hustle and bustle? Standing with your family all singing Christmas carols? Listen, none of that is wrong. But none of that is truly right. Jesus coming to serve is what is right. Let's talk to him. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace that you, though you were rich, you became poor for our sake so that by your poverty we may be made rich. Help us, Lord, in this holiday season of hustle and bustle and trees and tinsel to remember the truth that you came humbly to serve us and that we needed it. We needed it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.